Hello and welcome to the Simply podcast. I'm Aishwaj Bailey, Content and Community Manager at Simply, and today we'll be speaking with Claudia Vaccarone, an inclusion strategy, gender equality and diversity executive with 20 plus years of international experience. Claudia advises leaders and teams on how to embed inclusion and diversity in their corporate strategies with impact insight. From training leading newsrooms and marketing teams on inclusive language to supporting NGOs in gender mainstreaming their programs. Today I'll be chatting with Claudia on her work as an inclusion specialist using gender neutral and inclusive language and we'll also discuss her previous experience at Netflix and the All Things Being Equal report that she authored. Let's get started then. So hello Claudia and welcome to the Simply podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself please? Hello Aish, thank you so much for having me and happy to be with the Simply community. So I'm an inclusion, diversity and gender equality consultant. I'm based in Geneva, Switzerland. Um, I work a lot with media companies in uh, Europe and beyond, supporting their inclusion strategy articulation, inclusive language guidelines. Um, A lot of the work pertains also communication and marketing campaigns and applying an inclusion lens in uh, in that sphere. Um, I'm Italian and I've lived in several countries and always worked internationally. <clears throat> I work in English, in Italian and in French. Fabulous. Um, I totally relate to you on the Italian and French front because I started learning Italian when I was um, living briefly abroad in Italy. And yeah, I also did a few years living in France as well. So Fantastic. (laughs) Multilingual lives. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So going into obviously your background, so you were in marketing and then market research and uh, customer experience before you started working Mm -hmm. uh, in D&I. What inspired you to move into the field? Well, Aish, it's been a career pivot motivated by my own experience of industries in which I worked that were really uh, strongly male skewed and where women were facing really double or impossible standards in order to progress their careers. So when my feminist journey began, I realized also to what extent language and communication play a huge role in some of these dynamics. And when it comes to media, there's a serious issue also in terms of representation. Um, We know today that in all forms of media, whether it's social media, broadcasting, streaming, news, entertainment, um, women are still largely underrepresented or misrepresented. And a lot of the content that we see is primarily portraying male characters or the male experience. So um, when we took an interna- when we take a, an intersectional lens and look at other under- underrepresented communities, it's even worse. So it became a mission to you know kind of change the narratives and supporting a fair representation of women and underserved communities. Amazing! That sounds really really interesting. And you also do a lot of work around like gender neutral language. Can you talk to us about that, please? Absolutely. So gender neutral language is really fascinating. And I believe that when correctly implemented, it can really truly shift mentalities. So when you think about it, language really helps us describe our perception of reality to capture it and express it. Right. We need language to make sense of reality. Um, the way we speak and the worst choice, you know, can make really significant difference among including or, you know, everybody or creating structures and hierarchies among identities and, and groups. And as you said, I've worked a lot in marketing and comms. And when it comes also specifically to internal communications, having that lens, that attention, that reflex 
into what kind of words, what kind of images we're using. Um, it's really important because it directly relates to how people will feel um, represented or not, and therefore in, be engaged with the organizational mission or not. Um, some of the work that I do that I really enjoy is with newsrooms. Uh, news is such a reference, such a strong bastion for interpreting reality. We all wake up and it's the first thing we do. We look at what happened, right? Um, we rely on news to make sense of how the world is changing. And especially in this day and age, in, you know, in these really fast shifting societies. Um, and yet women are still present for um, about 30% in news, um, whether as experts, subjects or authors. And gender neutral language in news is really about a fair and inclusive representation of reality. Um, specifically in gendered languages, communicators are also confronted with some really thorny issues and forms, such as, for instance, the masculine generic. So in English, um, the masculine generic shows up in the use of men for universal, such as mankind or policemen. And we all know today that we shouldn't be using these forms anymore, but rather the more inclusive formulas, such as, you know, we want to talk about humankind or police force. Uh, when it comes to languages like French, Italian, German, and Spanish, which are gendered, the notion of masculine generic is even more perverse because the use of the masculine form is supposed to be really universal and represent everyone. But it's actually an artificial grammar uh, rule that was politically introduced about 300 years ago to support the idea creating really a strong hierarchy among the genders. Um, and you know this rule in French, for, uh, for instance, I sh uh, the one that says le masculin l'emporte sur le féminin, which translates literally the masculine takes precedence over the feminine. So we can see how it's a grammar rule, but really means to impose a societal structure. Um, so today we have a lot of solid research in sociology and neurology that proves that the brain, when reads or hears a sentence with a masculine generic, does not register the universal. You know, it really registers it as male. And so we visualize a group of men. We don't see the women. So the implication for communication teams, and especially those of large groups communicating internationally, are really significant and they really need to be mindful um, of, of this and the, the use of alternative formulas that are available, whether it's in news, whether it's in press releases or internal comms that are being vehiculated. The good news is that languages are flexible, they keep on evolving and there are a lot of alternatives, but it takes time to rewire and change the way we write and communicate. And some of my work is really about building this awareness with communicators and helping them train and find alternative formulas and make them a habit. So you've been working with the Swiss publisher kind of like on this matter, and it also publishes in other uh, languages using like editors and translation devices. Uh, can you talk to us you know about does this present further challenges what they are etc etc yes absolutely so one of my clients um is Suisanfo, the leading digital public service newsroom they publish in 10 languages the three main swiss ones plus english and plus um some other world languages like spanish portuguese arabic russian uh, etc chinese and japanese 
um, they bring the perspective of Switzerland to the world and they have a really large readership. So we started three years ago um, on the main Swiss languages to do an audit of inclusive language and we're now expanding it to the other languages. And we've realized that um, the content that is written in some of the basic languages and then translated, um, it's often done uh, as in many newsrooms initially by using translating software. Um, so what this implies is that even if the original piece featured inclusive formulas, some of it would be lost in the translations toward the gender language. So this was a really interesting insight that meant that we had to really heighten the attention and awareness, not only of the writers and you know, freelancers, but also editors, translators. Um, so that they are prepared to keep an eye for some of these uh, slips. You also did some work with um, Netflix on their inclusion strategy. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, it's been one of the best teams I've ever worked with. So I was part of the EMEA inclusion strategy team, which is part of the global one reporting to Werner Myers. Um, and the role had a double mission. On one hand, uh, empowering the talent team in the region and localizing culturally the inclusion strategy. So that's where my international experience came handy, bringing these specific perspectives of Italy, Spain, France and Germany. And on the other hand, we also supported the content executives and leaders in country on representation and portrayal issues, which can range from the development of a character in a series to the word choice in uh, the translated subtitles. Um, what, what I really particularly appreciated was uh, the inclusive culture at Netflix, which is really tangible and the massive investment in inclusion that, you know, in all departments and spheres. Amazing. And you also authored the All Things Being Equal guidelines report. Uh, talk to us about that. Yes, uh, this was also a real highlight of my career, which I still hold dear to my heart. So the EBU is the European Broadcasting Union. It's the largest alliance of uh, public service broadcasters. And when I was with them under the presidency of the then the director general of the BBC, Tony Hall, which was president of the EBU for the term, um, so he really brought the, um, the desire to jumpstart a collective gender equality effort for public service media, which became a strategic initiative, which I led. Um, so we set up an expert group in a community of gender equality and diversity um, officers among the members, among the, the media members. And we explored all the best practices, the strategies, the tactics um, that were really bringing, you know, a difference and change. So we talked to BBC, France Television, Rise, ZF in Germany, but also, you know, incredible solutions came from unsuspectable uh, members from, you know, further away in the region, you know, from RTV in Spain or from Georgia. Um, so we capture it all in this guideline report called All Things Being Equal, which was um, then translated in five languages. It's still available today online um, for everybody. And basically, these are guidelines from public service media, but they're really relevant for any organizations, I would say. And on the tail of that, DBU ran several campaigns and continued the work. Great. That sounds that sounds really, really interesting. And that's available to read online still, isn't it? Absolutely. It's uh, available for free for download. Amazing. I'll, I'll definitely be sure to check that out. And um, you go into organisations to audit and work with them on their language use. Could you talk to us about your process? 
With pleasure. So it always starts with an assessment. Um, you know, I take a look uh, at all of their assets, um, you know, from the quantitative aspect, but also from the qualitative aspects. Um, and I do a comprehensive analysis of worlds, words, texts, but also images and general portrayal. And I use it as a basis of discussion. So I ask a lot of questions, I check if they have guidelines. And I, you know, basically I, I provide them as an option saying like, this is what I see. And on the basis of that, we decide together, you know, how we want to proceed, what kind of strategy we want to put in place. Sometimes it's a fully fledged, you know, training program. Sometimes, you know, they want to start with just raising the awareness. So there's different strategies, different ways that we can, we can proceed together. At minimum, I would say is about raising awareness. Um, and, you know, the good news is that there are a lot of uh, free learning resources available online. For instance, the United Nations has published um, a wonderful inclusive language guidelines that are available in six languages. And they keep on being updated. And those are really, you know, uh, just one of the main resources that can be accessed. And um, you're also a, a diversity, equity and inclusion contributing author in Italian for Lavori in Corso magazine. So what does that entail? Yes, so um, Lavorin Corso basically means work in progress and it's a, a wonderful magazine from the Manpower Group in Italy that captures the trends and uh, you know topics uh, in the workplace. So we write about things you know such as hybrid work, how to combat gender ageism, how to foster an inclusive culture, allyship and the employees resource groups. Um, so it's been really a pleasure to author a series of articles, bringing the European perspective, comparing how topics are treated in, you know, in several different countries, but also highlighting the Italian best practices. It's really highly recommended for the Italian speaking listeners of the podcast. Well, you heard it here. Definitely check that out <laughs> if you are an Italian uh, speaking listener to this podcast. And um, going very briefly off topic for a second, you're a professional volleyball player. Talk to us about that. Yes, uh, this is this has been a very formative chapter of my youth. So I played professionally in Italy and in the States when I was in high school and college. And uh, I'd say, yeah, it's been an incredibly formative um, experience and years that shaped me, I would say also as a professional, because it's a sport that gives you strong ethics and teammate values. Um, and, you know, playing at that level also teaches you a lot about resilience, about believing in yourself and never giving up in reaching your objectives. Oh, amazing. That sounds incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of sports, I, I guess I relate in terms of I love to ski. I think that's the one sport that I absolutely, you know, I again, I would I would do it regularly if I lived somewhere with with mountains. But yeah, do, you, do, you, still, do you still play? <laughs> No, I, I play just uh, recreationally, you know, with my kids uh, in the summer, but I do play a lot of sports and I think that, you know, also um, something like skiing, uh, I, I can see how it has so much value, you know, in, in terms of like connecting you with nature and um, and connecting you with a sense of flow. And these are all dimensions that um, as women, you know, really help us in our everyday life as well. Oh, absolutely. I think I learned a lot, even about myself when I when I learned skiing. And that was, um, gosh, I think I only started skiing when I was about 19, 20 years old as well. So, yeah, I do miss it. 
Well, come over to Geneva and we'll go skiing together in the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thank you ever so much for um, for your time today. And this this interview has been absolutely great. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Aish. <laughs>